If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Mark chapter 12? Last week we began a mini-series. We are looking at the Ten Commandments as given in the Old Testament, but we're looking at them from a slightly different perspective. As we read in Mark 12, I'm going to start at verse 28. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, the scribe is talking about Jesus Christ, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And then what we did last week is we looked at the Lord's Ten Commandments and we noticed they were broken up into two groups. The first four are what I call God's commandments or God-oriented commandments. Those are the way we honor God. And then the last six commandments are one to another uh, commandments, things that we do to one another. Now what I'd like to do is uh, uh, last week we introduced this and, 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 and sure there's commands in there when, when you worship someone other than God, God is a jealous God and he will get angry. But this commandment says here, do it out of love. What would happen if our love for God was so rich that we didn't have room for an idol? That would be worship at a whole different level. And what if and the second man was uh, no images and, and, and God would like us to worship him in spirit and in truth and graven images are not according to his word. It's not according to his will. And matter of fact, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't like that. And we can say, okay, God doesn't like that, but we commit. But what if our love for God was so rich that we would never do anything to offend him, just like a husband would do a wife? And I'd like to go right down the list and tackle the next two commandments about the name in vain and also remember the Lord's day. There's a point I tried to make last week, and hopefully I can reinforce that. As, as a biological father, I can motivate my children through fear to obey me. And I can also motivate my children through reward to obey me. But I still haven't figured out how to motivate my... I can, I can motivate a child through fear to obey me. I can scare him into fear. And I can motivate them into reward and to obey me. I can bribe them into fear. What do I do to get them to motivate them through love to do that? I don't know if I can do that. I haven't figured out how to do that after 30 some years of parenting. Well, it's the same way with the Lord. There are some folks that you can scare into obedience. And there's some folks you can bribe into obedience. But you know what? It takes the Holy Spirit to love into obedience can't do it without it. It's impossible. So what I like to do is take a look at that state of man and what we're talking about. And we go to a passage we're familiar with in Romans 10, 3. I want to read 10 through 14. And as is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh God. They're all gone out of the way. They are altogether come unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, not no one. Their throat is an open sepulcher, their tongues they have used in deceit, poison asp under the lips, the mouth is full of cursings and bitterness. Now once again, even a non-elect person, I can scare into obedience. Like for instance, if you steal, you're going to go to jail. Well, that's a deterrent from stealing. But what happens if you love your neighbor so much 
you wouldn't take their things because you love them, then, then stealing is at a whole different level. My friends, the non-elect person has not that ability to do it that way. Who can? In John eight forty seven, he that is of God heareth God's word, ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God's. John ten twenty six, ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I say unto you. Now notice this one in James two nineteen. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well, but the devils also believe and tremble. Do you remember when Jesus came up to that possessed man? And they say, We know who thou art. It's not the time. Lord have mercy on us. These are devils speaking. Was it out of love? No. Was it out of faith? No. It was out of fear. So so I'm talking about obeying God and doing these things out of love. Now, y'all, that's the difference between religion and worship. I got a quote here. This is a minister that used to minister in New York City. He had a congregation. He was uh, well-read. Guy's name is Ralph W. Stockman. He lived from 1889 to 1970. He said, America needs a revival of religion, but it must be inspired by faith rather than fear. We do not come to Christ merely trying to get away from the Kremlin. He wrote this during the Cold War. Nor do we get to heaven simply trying to escape from hell. Y'all, that's someone that's afraid of going to hell, so they do all the right things. No, here's my version of it. Americans need a great revival. But it must be motivated by love rather than fear. We do not come to Christ merely trying to escape socialism, nor do we enter the kingdom of God trying to escape hell. Y'all, if you're coming to Christ because you're avoiding something, okay, that's the first step. But y'all, you won't enjoy the riches of the kingdom of God until you start doing those things from faith and love. Have you had a biological parent? Just think of the difference of some of child that's obeying you because they don't want to get punished or they want to get the car keys for the weekend versus the child that obeys you just out of gratitude for the things you've done for them. I'm telling you what, that melts a father and a mother's heart. Well, it's different with God too. We're talking about entering the kingdom of heaven. Let's dive into the next two commandments. I want to look at the third and the fourth. Now, again, I want to look at these from the perspective of not trying to scare you into obeying them or not trying to bribe you into obeying them. I want to show you the richness that comes when you love God so much that you, do, you obey out of this. And there's going to be a richness between you and your biological parents, but there'll be a richness between you and your Heavenly Father that it's just different. I don't know if I can put my finger on it. All I know is the, the word of the Lord says it. Every once in a while, I get a taste of it. Because I got to admit, every once in a while, I'm, I'm afraid of God. And I obey because I'm afraid. And every once in a while, I'll do it because, like, for instance, it says, children, obey your parents. What's the promise? Quality and quantity of life? I want both. So I still call my mom every Sunday night up in Detroit. But I don't do it to live. I, you know, I might have done that in the beginning because of that. But now I do it because I just love her. Yeah, it's a whole different relationship with God. Uh, God forbids certain verbal com- communications. There, there's no doubt about it. So if, if the fear factor is all you got, okay, go for it. But you know what? That's kind of a shallow level of an interaction with God. Let me read this passage. This is Leviticus 24. I want to read 10 through 16. And the son of an Israelitish woman, whose father was an Egyptian 
went out among the children of Israel, and, his, and this son of the Israelitish woman and a man of Israel strove together in the camp. And the Israelitish woman's son blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed. And they brought him unto Moses, and his mother's name was Shilameth, the daughter of Debri, of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in the ward, that the mind of the Lord might be showed them. And the Lord spake to Moses, saying, Bring forth him that hath cursed without the camp, and let all they that heard lay their hands upon his head, and let all the congregation stone him. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, Whosoever curseth God shall bear his sin, and he that blasphemed the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death, and all the congregation shall certainly stone him, as well as the stranger, and he is that is born in the land, when he blasphemed the name of the Lord, he shall put to death. Now, y'all, that's pretty good deterrent for not blaspheming the Lord. Amen? But what happens when you don't blaspheme the Lord because you're not afraid of the penalty? You don't blaspheme the Lord because you love him. I am never going to call my wife the old ball and chain. I know, I'm talking to a couple right here that just got married less than 24 hours ago, okay? And don't do that because you want a home-cooked meal. That's the penalty. Don't do it because you know it hurt her feel. You just love her too much to ever use a phrase like that. Well, God's the same way. He can scare you into obedience, but your life is so much richer if you love into obedience. So there's certain verbal communications that he forbids, but did you know there's also certain communications that he commands? Yeah, he wants you to praise. Look at this passage here. This is the first Chronicles 16, 8 through 11. Give thanks unto the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people. Y'all, that's not a suggestion, that's a commandment. So wait a second, I'm not supposed to use the Lord's, the Lord's name in vain. And do you realize when you don't pray him, it's kind of vanity? So not only does that commandment include things that you ought not do, it includes things you ought to be doing. Give thanks unto the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people, sing unto him, sing psalms unto him, talk ye the wondrous works, glory ye in his holy name, let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord, seek the Lord with and his strength, seek his face continually. Yeah, there's things you ought not to say, but there's things you ought to be saying. And the way I read this, you can be just as guilty of using the Lord's name in vain when you don't praise him, when you don't thank him, when you don't glorify him. What if God was so, and you probably met people like this, God is so prevalent in someone's thinking and actions and motivation that they can hardly talk without bragging on God. I don't know if you've ever read some of the writings of Abraham Lincoln. He could hardly write two sentences without bragging on God or quoting God. And let me give you another one. God expects certain nonverbal communications. Now, this is the one where I'm really gonna step on your toes. You can, be, you can use the name in vain when you speak. You can use the name in vain when you don't brag on him, when you don't speak. And you can use his name in vain with certain actions. Why? Because you have the name of God written on you. Your behaviors can be using the name of the Lord in vain. Let me show you this one. This is in James 5. I want to read 10 through 12. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, afflictions, and patience. Behold, 
We count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and ten, of tender mercy. But of all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by your any oath, let your yea be nay and your nay be nay, let ye fall into condemnation. Y'all remember I told you last week that all the Ten Commandments are like a bowl of spaghetti? It's really hard just to commit one. When you steal, you probably coveted. When you committed adultery, you probably lied. When you've coveted, you probably had an idol in your life. So when I look at these right here, did you realize with the name of Christ, your word should be so true, so pure, that when you tell a lie, you're taking the name of the Lord in vain, even when you don't say his name. Let me get a couple more examples. I've got in Proverbs 30, verse 9, lest I be poor and steal, and lest the name of the Lord be taken in vain. Did you realize that in Proverbs 39, when you steal, you're taking the name's Lord in vain? Whoa, wait a second. All of a sudden, that name in vain comes to a whole new level. That was Proverbs 39. Romans 2 and 24, that the name of the Lord is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. How is it blasphemed? When you look at Romans 2, it's not talking about telling lies, and it's not talking about using his name idly. It's talking about your walk. It's possible you can take the Lord's name in vain when you disobey God. They ended up getting rid of the Old Testament in terms of the salvific type thing because no one could keep it. You can't keep it. I can't keep it. There was only one that kept it, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. But what if your love is such at a level that not keeping it is just something that, not even your thoughts. Gone are the vain repetitions. Now, y'all know I grew up in a different order, and I'm not making fun of anyone. But I got so I can say the Lord's Prayer really, really fast. You go in the little booth, you say your confession, you come out, you needle on the peel, you say if our fathers are Hail Marys. I could say them really, really fast. Y'all, even that was the Lord's Prayer. That was a vain repetition. Well, I'd never do that. I was never of that order. Oh, yeah? Play a repay on your grace for the last 30 days. How many times have you prayed the same thing? Try doing that to your wife. Ain't going to fly. You know what? God's the same way. We got to watch our vain repetitions. It applies in more than just one way. Gone are the dramatic exhibitions, the temple, the altars, the artifacts, the clothing, the rituals, the choirs that was in the Old Testament. They're all gone. He's looking for simple, heartfelt worship. And also the hypocrisies, the washings versus repentance, the public versus the private worship, and also the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. God is looking for heartfelt worship. Let me ask you a couple questions. What if my love to God was so strong that dishonoring God was absolutely inconceivable? What if my love for God was so pervasive that his name was just in my mind and my lips all the time? Because last week I was all, all about Michigan winning the championship of the national. And how much was Jesus on my lips then? What if my love of God was so strong that noncompliance was just counterintuitive to me? And I'm afraid that's not the case but maybe I'm a little closer today than I was yesterday, and maybe a little better tomorrow than I am today. So there's that third commandment. Do you understand how we're looking at these 10 commandments, not from the perspective of thou shall not do because he's gonna punish you, or thou shall not do because if you don't do it, you're gonna get a reward? What if you do thou shall not do simply because it offends them and I love them too much to offend them? That's what Jesus Christ told the scribe. He said, thou art not far from the kingdom of heaven. 
Go read Matthew 22, 23, 24. All those Pharisees that had all those laws done and they were doing all those jots and tittles. And then finally the scribe comes along and he says, what do you do? He says, you love. And he says, you got it, Jesus. It's loving God is better than all the burnt sacrifices. And Jesus says, thou art not far from the kingdom of heaven. That means you're getting warmer. It's a love, it's a faith thing. Okay, let's go to the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath. Now this is the first commandment that isn't said in the negative. There's three thou shalt nots, but this is the first one that said thou shalt, or remember the Sabbath. The first thing I want to establish is the when. The when of this commandment. This commandment was given before the fall. Y'all, that's really, really important. The principle of it was given before the fall. You know what that means? God designed mankind with a certain rhythm. And that rhythm was most profitable when it worked six days and it rested the seventh. And we're going to talk about rest in a second. That's what's more functional. And it doesn't matter if it was an animal or a person or a Jew or a Gentile, old or young, or even a chunk of land. In the terms of land, it was years. But it worked best when there was a that was God's rhythm. That was his design. And that design was before the fall. It's not a fall thing. It's not a sin thing. Got, give, got news for you. Work was given before the fall. Work is good for man. In Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested the seventh day from all his work which he made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified. It means he set it apart and made it holy because that in it he had rested from all his work which, created, which, he, which God created and made. It was a principle God set up. Let's think about it this way. How many of you work Monday to, thir- Monday to Friday jobs? Let's say you work five hard days. There's a couple of hands go up. Aren't you happy when Friday night rolls around? Why? You're happy because... I don't have to work anymore. Let's pretend you're a farmer. You're working for yourself. So now it's not a Monday to Friday job. It's a Monday to Saturday job. Aren't you happy when Saturday night rolls around? And it's not, I have to go to church. I get to go to church. There's a selfish part of us. Maybe it's a greed thing that we go to work because there's those chores we want to get done and that'll help us bring in the crop or make the crop better or there's something that's broken, that's, you know, that kind of thing. God designed us that in the long term, we are much better off taking that seventh day of rest. And he created that design before the fall. Work is a good thing. Now, the thing where we get messed up, and we're going to define some of these things, we get messed up that thinking, oh, rest is just laying back and watching football all day Saturday. But it's not. You go from six days of doing your secular work to a day of doing God's work, and that's the rest. And that's good for you. Not only good for your body, but it's good for your soul too. Um, let's go to the who. Who? In Exodus 23 and verse 12, it says, Six days shalt thou work, and on the seventh day thou shalt rest, that thine eye and thine ass may rest, and the son of thy handmaid and the stranger, and may be refreshed. That principle is set up for all of God's creation. Man in animal, in land, in Jew, in Gentile, is set up for everyone. 
Old Testament, New Testament, and it's a good principle for you today. Did you know there's been societies that tried to change the week from seven days to 10 days? Never worked. Why didn't it work? Because that was God's design. France tried to go to a 10-day week. Didn't work. Seven days is the way it works. In Exodus 31, notice what it says here in 16. It says, he shall keep the Sabbath throughout their generations. It is a perpetual covenant. I believe this this principle is solid for us on this side of the cross. Y'all, keeping the Sabbath is not a ceremonial law. Keeping the Sabbath was given before the ceremonial law was given. It's a principle for all mankind. It's a principle for beasts. It's a principle for the land. There was a time where Israel went and he said, this is, he says, y'all are stewards of this property. You think this land that you buy is yours? It's not yours. It's my land. You're just a steward on it. And I want you to let it fallow, lay fallow every seventh year. And Israel did not let it lay fallow for 490 years. They just worked it every year, every year, every year, never gave the land a day off or a year off. And guess what God did at the end of the 490? He captured them. He sent them abroad. He said, I'm getting my 70 years back. And after 70 years, he gave them back the land. Why? Because that's what they owed him. It is God's pattern. Well, I bet you if you were a farmer, and I'm going to go back about 100, 150 years, and you're plowing the back 40, and all of a sudden it was that Sunday where you got to go to church. You're going to oh, praise the Lord. I get to go to the Lord. That's from a physical standpoint. But again, I'm not looking at it from fear or bribes. I'm looking because you love the Lord. I get to spend a whole day communing with the Lord. What if that's your motive versus the fear? What a whole different attitude would have. Okay, we've asked, we asked the when. The when was before the fall. We asked the who, everything God made. Let's define work. What is work? Because that's the thing that the Pharisees got mad at Jesus for all the time. Let me define work. This is in Nehemiah 13, 15 through 17. In those days saw I in Judah some treading wine presses on the Sabbath. That's work. And bringing in sheaves. That's work. And lading asses. You know, loading up your pickup trucks with uh, produce and merchandise. That's work. And also wine and grapes and figs and all manners of burdens which they brought to, into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, going to the flea market. And I testified against them in the day wherein they sold victuals, they sold all their produce. There dwelt men of Tyre also therein, which brought in fish and all manner of ware, and sold on the Sabbath unto the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said unto them, What evil thing is this that ye do and profane the Sabbath? Jesus does not include acts of necessity nor acts of compassion. That's not work. Work is when you're doing something for gain. Yeah, but what does yeah, but mean? If you love the Lord, how many yeah, buts are you going to give God? Yeah, but it's just a polite way of saying no. And the Lord would have us do those things. Now, again, I am very thankful we have police officers and we have hospital workers. That's necessity. I get it. I'm thankful for workers like that. That's not where I'm going. I'm going when we dedicate a day for the Lord. First of all, that was his design for us physically, but it was our design for us spiritually too. Brother um, Glenn Blanchard 
did a sermon on Sabbath keeping. This is, oh, I don't know how long ago, but I, I've remembered it some 20 years later. He said, they've done studies on Christians, Christians that went to church every day. And he says, one that went to church every day. They took all those days and added them up. And you know, the average mortality rate of a Christian is nine years longer than a non-Christian. And he did the math. You know what he said? He said, God gave you back your Sabbaths. You know what I'm doing right now? I'm trying to reward you into Sabbath keeping. Amen? Okay, if that's what it takes, go for it. But what if you do it out of love? God will frustrate your efforts by working on Sundays. He will reward you for not doing it. But what if you do it out of love? It's a whole different ballgame. And, and there's another quote in Jeremiah 17, 21, but basically that's work. I hope you can tell the difference between work and doing something. Now, if, if Brother Richard called me up and said, oh, my, my pump went out in my house. We don't have any water or, or the, the child's sick and I got to go there. Can you, can, can you come and take care of some stuff so I can run to the emergency room or whatever? Yeah, that's necessity. That's compassion. But I'm talking as a mindset, a regular purpose in your heart. Here's one. We sang this song. Psalm 118.24. This is the day that the Lord hath made. What is the day? Well, you could talk about that day being the New Testament day. You can talk about that day being the day Jesus Christ rose from the dead and conquered death. That's true. But if you read above it and you read below it, you know what it's talking about? It's talking about going to the house of God. What if we sang that song, this is the day that the Lord hath made? The day we get to worship the Lord. Do we sing it with that kind of attitude? If we're in love with God, we sing it. Okay, let's go back to the wedding parallel. Again, I'm likening the church and Jesus Christ to a husband and a wife. But we go back to that parallel, and I worked five days. Or maybe you're in healthcare, like, and you work four twelves. And I know when my son has worked four twelves, he's wore out. And I almost needs a whole day to recover. But what if on that fourth, after the four twelves, I got a date with my wife? You hot dog, thank you, the four days are over. Tomorrow I get to spend the whole day with my wife. Well, what if we thought the Lord that way? Six days are over. Hot dog, I get to spend the whole day with the Lord. What if our love was that high and that's where we were? I can scare you into doing it. I could try to bribe you into doing it. But what if you loved yourself into doing it? Yeah, that's a whole different experience with God. I know. And also, we, we, each, in each one of us, we got a religionist. I don't even know if that's a word, but we got a religionist. And we want to black and white, and we want to do this, and this happens, and we want to do this, and this doesn't happen. But this love thing is hard to get your arms around. But that's the richness of God. And that's the way it works in a marriage. Okay, why? There's a whole bunch of Psalms. I picked Psalm 42.4. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I have gone with the multitude. I went into the house of God in the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept the holy day. I get to worship the Lord this morning. We get to learn about the Lord. We get to get his principles. We get to get closer to him. We get to hear about his salvific work. We get to hear about his design for our lives. We get to hear his mercy. We get to hear his love, how he sent his son to die for us, and all the assurance we have that his son is coming back in that promise. Wow, that's good news. That's all what I get to do today. Why not? Well, he's going to punish us. Exodus 31, 13, and 14. Speak thou also to the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbath ye shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout all generations. Let's look at that sign for a second. 
We live in an incredible spot in the Roanoke Valley. If you look at the Roanoke Valley, it's, a, it's, it's like a great big bowl. And we live over the southeast rim, facing southeast. And whenever a spring shower comes through in April, May, or June, and it comes through in the evening, we see magnificent rainbows. You can count on it. We've seen one, we've seen two, we've seen triple rainbows. We've seen the whole circle. I mean, it's an incredible view we have. I've never been anywhere else. And every time I see that rainbow, I smile because I know it is a sign from the promise of God. What if we viewed the Sabbath as that kind of sign? The Sabbath is a sign, just like circumcision is a sign, just like the Passover was a sign, just like communion is a sign. The Sabbath is a sign. This is what it says. The Sabbath is a sign. It's a day of rest. But we don't look at it that way because it comes too fast. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy unto you. Every one that defileth shall surely be put to death. For whosoever doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Yeah, I can scare you into it. But what if you love yourself into obeying it? How? Let me read Isaiah 58, 13, and 14. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on thy holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord honorable, thou shalt honor him for doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. Then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord. I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Let's talk about the Sabbath for a second. Now let's go back and let's talk about your weekend. Okay, you worked a really long weekend. I mean, you, you put in 10, 12, 11, 12 hours, five days. All of a sudden, Friday rolls around and you finish the job. You've, you've, you've completed a project at work. Uh, it's the end of a semester and you're so excited. And you got the weekend ahead of you. How many people ever started planning your weekend like on a Thursday? And then you make the physical preparations on a Friday. And then first thing Saturday morning, you're gone. What if you preferred the Sabbath like that? What if you prepared for the Sabbath on Saturday night? You went to bed at a reasonable hour so you were well rested. Why? Because tomorrow's the day I do the Lord's work. I want to be rested to do that. What if you took care of all the business, all the worries, you, you, you shoved them aside instead of doing it on the ride to church? I've got a friend that works, who, who, I'm sorry, that pastors a church in another state, and he's trained in his church to think of the Sabbath like the Old Testament day where 6 p.m. to 6 p.m. And they started preparing for the Sabbath 6 p.m. on Saturday where fathers got together with the children and started worshiping and singing and praying for the preaching and the service Saturday night at 6 p.m. That was their Sabbath. So focused were they on the Sunday morning. Well, that sounds like legalism. Well, if I scare you to death, it's legalism. But what if you love the Lord so much you do it because you want to be closer and you want it to be as rich as possible? It's all motive. And then finally, let's go to the what ifs. Sabbath keeping, what if Sabbath keeping was motivated by love as opposed to fear of reward? The Sabbath is a sign like a rainbow and circumcision and communion. It shows promise. Did you realize coming to this church today was a sign of promise? The Sabbath is God's design. We function better long term, so we respect it. And we ask, what would the Lord have me to do as opposed to, may I do this activity on a Sunday? Brother Dolph, I want to do this today. I don't know your heart. I can't tell you. 
It depends on your heart. Each one of our cases are different. Maybe emergency, maybe it's not emergency. I, I, I don't know. That's up to you and the Lord. I can't, I can't, I can't legislate that stuff for you. You're going to have to figure it out. This is the recommendation. I would always err on the side of caution. Brother Dolph, that doesn't work for me. I, I'm, y'all, I'm not going to legislate it for you. I can't tell you how to do that. It, but, but, but there's a certain job that, that, that my son has is different than the job I have. His job being in the medical profession, he has to do one thing. Me being a pastor, Monday, Sunday's my busiest day. And, and, and Lord knows when I get home, I'm flat wore out. We refrain from doing secular work, but we don't refrain from doing God's work. That's the rest. That's the work. Where have we been? We're looking at the interaction between Jesus Christ and the scribe. And Jesus was encouraging him to obey the commandments out of love, not out of being fear or not being trying to get a reward. There's a big difference. And we've looked at the first four, which were all God-honoring. Now we're going to come back, and I don't know how many we'll pick up. We'll pick up at least a couple of them the next Sunday or whatever the Lord has in mind. But we're going to sooner or later pick up a couple of those and realize, yes, we're not to steal and we're not supposed to murder, but we're going to do it because love and not because we're afraid we're going to get thrown in jail. So may the Lord bless us to continue to look at God's word from that perspective. Y'all, we're in the New Testament. We're not in the Old Testament. It's, it's, a, it's a different mindset. We've got all the gratitude because we know we could never kept the law. No one ever kept the law. Jesus kept the law, and he's saying, here's salvation for us. And you know what? We say, thank you, Lord. Y'all, that's a reason to love the Lord and to obey him. Not to get it, to say thank you. Thank you. Let's sing a song.